0: Good morning and welcome back to uh, our service here this morning. I'm excited to be able to get into God's Word. And one last sermon out of the book of Habakkuk, another book of the Bible that we have preached through and I've taught here. And uh, it's always kind of exciting to get to the end of that. And, and, um, and so uh, glad that we can do this here this morning. So we've been looking at this book of Habakkuk. We've been studying it and uh, asking God to show us how we can have hope in dark days. And when there's evil days, when there's difficult days, when when we're overwhelmed in the storms of life, how do we have hope in God? So we've been doing this study and seen here that Habakkuk has has cried out to God. Actually, uh, the book as a whole is what's called a lament. And, and when we lament uh, in biblical terms, we we cry out to God and, and we complain about the situation and what we're going through. And we ask him to act the way that we uh, have learned for who he is. And so many times there's a gap between his character and what I'm experiencing. And in that middle there, we're lamenting and we're calling out to God, God, would you act the way you have said that you uh, you would and in, in, in the character that you would. And so Habakkuk has cried out to God about injustice in his land. He's heard an answer from God that he didn't expect. And God tried to prepare him for that. And God was like, how in the world will you use an evil, more wicked people to discipline us? And uh, God said to wait by faith. And then he assured him of his justice and action. And, and uh, what we saw in the first two chapters was kind of this uh, request from God. And then God answers. And then when we get to chapter 3, we, we saw this last week, that um, we see really Habakkuk's response. And uh, so we're going to look a little bit, one last time, at Habakkuk's response. And when we come to a lament, many times at the very end, uh, there's this glimmer uh, of, of a better future. There's this glimmer of how I can handle things faithfully in the midst of the trouble. And uh, that's what we're going to see here even today. And so I want to start actually with a story. Um, by uh, a story that happened many years ago. There was a, actually a missionary, an English missionary named Alan Gardner, who in 1851 uh, was shipwrecked on the southern point of South America as he was seeking to bring the gospel to some of the people in that part of the world. Uh, they were, they were, uh, had no hope of rescue and actually in the midst of this they were starving and one by one the, the, the party that he was a part of all began to die. He ultimately seems to have been one of the last to die. And, uh, and in his hand, there was a journal in which he continued to write about the events of, that, uh, of what he was going through. And in that was Psalm 34, verse 10. He had written it in his journal. It says, Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then underneath he wrote this, his last words. I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. I mean, how how does that happen to somebody? How in their dying breath are they writing out that I'm overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God when they're shipwrecked and they're starved? And God, why haven't you taken care of us? Uh, Might be some of the questions. I mean, I think about you and I, and I think about how uh, we come to the, how we come to the conclusion that God is good. I mean, what are, what are the things that cause you to think that God are good? Most of the times, it's, it's when we see that things are going good, when things are going well, when we feel blessing and we've received something, that we come to the conclusion that God is good. Uh, how is it that Alan Gardner could say this when things are going so badly for him? How is it that he is in contact with God's goodness in spite of the circumstances that were so poor and so negative, even to the point where he died from them? Well, today, the title of the message is Finding Rest and Joy in Dark Days. When nothing is going right, how can we rejoice in suffering? I referred a couple of times to Romans Romans chapter 5, where it tells us that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How can we find rest and joy even when everything is falling apart? That's the main idea that I'm trying to help us understand here today. How to find rest and joy even when everything is falling is falling apart. And that's what Habakkuk is actually speaking about uh, in these last few verses. And so I want to just read these last four verses of Habakkuk. Let's read them together now, and then I'm going to try to explain them a little bit further. It says this in verse 16 of chapter 3. Habakkuk writes, I hear, and my body trembles, and my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on, my high, on high places to the choir with stringed instruments. Remember, this was a song that was written by Habakkuk in response to the Lord. So how do we face dark days with poise? Where can we find rest and joy in the middle of dark days? Well, I want to show you two things that That Habakkuk speaks of, and then a third uh, that he actually puts all helps us understand how it all goes together. So I need you to be patient with uh, with point number one and two because it's going to seem a little bit rough, but I believe that as you see the fullness of it, you'll see uh, the great love of God in it as well. And so number one, write this down: Find rest in turmoil. Find rest in turmoil, in the midst of the dark days. Find rest, which is like, wait a second. That that seems a little bit rough. When my when when things are so bad, when I'm in such a big crisis that I'm facing this this evil day, this dark day, you're telling me to find rest. I, I, like I want rest, but I don't know how to find it. And. Habakkuk has been wrestling. Remember, through the first two chapters, and then has responded. Really, chapter chapter three, remembering what God has done and who He is. But really, now we see the fullness of His response. And notice here in verse 16, He says, "I hear." Look at verse 16. "I hear," and He lists four things. My body trem, my my body trembles, and actually, the literal Greek. Is something a little bit more, more uh, precise. It's, it's my bowels are trembling. You think about that. My lips are quivering. My bones are rotten. My legs are trembling. I mean, I, I imagine you may have already experienced one of those bone rotting moments, right? Where just inside is just burning. You're you're at a spot where you really can't control your bowels because of how churned up you are on the inside. Your your lips are quivering. You can't even stand because your legs are are shaking. Your knees are knocking. Habakkuk says, I hear and I'm scared. he's, He's revealing very genuine emotion about how he's responding to all that God is saying and God is doing here. And yet in the midst of this, he says, I'm, I'm trembling, but I'm at a place of rest and peace. Look what he says halfway through. He says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble, for the things that God is promising and how he's going to take care of us. It's interesting when he says yet, it's this little word. We're going to see it a couple of different times in the message here. He's saying that I'm making a choice. I'm, I'm, fearful, I'm shaking, but I'm going to make a choice. Yet I will. He's he's making a choice. And what does he choose? Notice, I will quietly wait. This language in the Hebrew is actually quite startling. Uh, The the idea of waiting patiently is not just just the idea of of sitting and and pausing for a moment for God to do something. It, It actually literally means that I will be at rest and peace. So he's trembling, but he's at re- He's choosing to be at rest and peace. How is it that there can be sorrow and rest at the same time? I mean, so many times we're stirred up and we're, we would like to be at rest, but we can't get there. How does that happen? Well, it's interesting. We have what's often called mixed emotions, right? Humans have this incredible capacity uh, to be able to ha- handle more than one emotion, and you can have multiple things going on. That's how God has made us. And... I was actually reading a story, it's actually a, a story about a family whose, whose son is doing very well in, in the game of football, and, and yet they had an older son who a number of years ago passed away. And uh, it, the, um, in the midst of reading an article about the family history and how they handled it, which they handled very well, by the way, uh, the mother actually uh, it says this, uh, Danielle explains uh, that their emotion were so complex. She says, nobody should have watched their child, someone they love, die. She said, it's horrible. You could tell that he was fighting it. This is their 11 year old son who had cancer, by the way. Sorry, need that background, right? He says, you could tell that he was fighting it. We had him in the house and there were al- almost always at least 20 people around, sometimes more. He got good energy from people. People also needed to see him and from, the, and from what friends have said, they needed to see us and they got strength from us. The day he died, we called the hospice near us. We knew, uh, we knew it was coming. Uh, she, she came and said that that was indeed happening, and so we sent the other kids away, and then Jack passed. You're so numb at that point, she says. You don't want him to go, but you don't want him to be in pain anymore." See, it's, it's that mix of emotion that's possible within human the human body that's been made. That we can have, man, I don't want my son to die, but I don't want him to be in pain anymore. And we can have that mix of emotion. And Habakkuk here is speaking about the mix of emotion. I think, though, we still have trouble with this. We, we still struggle with this idea uh, of being in deep sorrow and yet being at rest and and rejoicing. We're going to see here in a moment as well. Uh But in all of this, let me show you how this works. Uh, Grief and sorrow enhances joy by driving you to God. It's kind of like when it's hot outside, the air con works a little bit harder to produce the cool, cool air. And when we are in the midst of grief and sorrow, when our body is shaking the way Habakkuk is talking about, it drives us to God, and it drive, when we find God, when, we're, when we meet with God there, it actually produces this mix of emotions where I'm stirred up by what's going on, but I can be at peace and rest in the midst of it. I think it's so important that we're finding rest and, and joy in the middle of the storm, not after the storm is over. And so there's this pattern where the Bible talks about many times, many places, where there's this sorrow and grief that drives us to God, and that shows us resources that we never realized that we actually had, and so it enhances our joy, and it it allows us to actually feel the fullness of what the grief actually is. And that's important, because many Christian communities don't give permission to express feelings, many times we we've over spiritualized the Bible and and the way that we're supposed to function in communities. And there's two lies that we actually believe. One, we believe that to be a good Christian, you just kind of uh, be stoic. You, you you produce a stiff upper lip and you maintain a, a, a sense of control and and you're you just kind of go through life and say, I'm not really affected by that and. That's a lie. That's not true. There's another lie that we oftentimes promote, and that is the idea of being unrealistically happy. That that we're detached from reality, and we we think things are just going so well, and I just have this trust in God, so it doesn't really impact me. And both of these are untrue. What they do is they bury emotions down inside of us. And the problem with that is that the emotions are still there. And while they're in there and they're not healthily dealt with, they will come out in unhealthy ways. And so sometimes they come out in anger and suddenly I've I've thrown my plate across the room and over something very little. And it's really not the small incident that just happened. It's that there's something that's deep inside that hasn't been healthily dealt with. And I might be actually confused or sad or anxious or, or worried in some way. And I, what we need is to process our emotions. Like I so think that we as a church need to be at one of the best places where we are a community that says it's okay not to be okay. And that we deal with the difficulties of life in reality with honesty about the feelings about what's going on within us. And the reason I say that is because think about Jesus. You and I believe, are believers here. We know that Jesus was perfect in every way. And yet, it's, the Bible tells us that he was a man acquainted with sorrows. Uh, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Excuse me, that's how it actually goes. And what you often see is that Jesus weeps. He weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over the death of Lazarus. He, when he sees the crowd, he's deeply affected and he's perfect in doing those things. See, when we are not absorbed with protecting ourselves, we can be honest about our emotions, and then we can feel sadness for others in the fullness of how we, are, how we were built to do so. Tim Keller actually speaks to this a little bit. He says that weeping drives us to joy, and joy enables you to feel grief without sinking you, and then you are actually emotionally healthy. But what if you don't know how to express what's going on inside of you? What if because of life and just the things that have gone around you, uh, you really don't have emotional maturity. You haven't actually come to the place where you can, in a healthy way, express what's going on within you. Uh, I would suggest that that's something that we need to grow in, that that's something that that actually every individual needs to continue to grow in, in our lifetime. And so uh, I want to show you a tool that's actually uh, helpful in this. Uh, this tool is called uh, uh, the Wheel of Feelings, and um, up on the screen here, you can see uh, that, notice this, the, the different colors in there, notice the very center circle, uh, there's these six different key, uh, key emotions, and in these six emotions, uh, there, there might be, for example, you might be fearful. You might be feeling fear inside of you, but notice if you go the next circle out, you see that there's actually multiple reasons that you might have for being fearful. And so it's not enough just to know that I'm afraid. It's important to explore why am I afraid? And you might find out, well, actually, I'm I'm afraid because I'm anxious and and actually there's something overwhelming going on in my life. And so the issue isn't necessarily just the fullness of fear. Fear is just the byproduct of what's really going on that I'm overwhelmed by whatever circumstance of life that I'm facing right now. You can do that for each of these key areas, but notice in this, this is just a, a simple tool to help you begin to articulate and speak and say this is what's going on within me now why is that important to be able to do this why is it important to have a feelings wheel and and the capacity to be able to express these things why is this useful well it's because and we've talked about this in the series that we did about our heart called above all else this summer but but it's because emotions are the crumbs that lead to what's really going on inside my heart And that's important because when you know what's going on inside, you're able to tell that to God. And He can meet you there and care for you at your deepest place of need, at the deepest place where you're feeling pain, at the most intimate place of what's going on within you. And the result is that when God meets you specifically at that place, you can come to a place of rest and peace, like Habakkuk, The circumstances may be shaking you, but you can say, I will quietly wait. I will rest in what God has done because I've been able to express the fullness of emotion about what's going on, just like Habakkuk has done in verse 16. The point here that I'm trying to make today is this, find rest in turmoil by expressing your feelings honestly to God. So it was a little rough at the beginning when I said find rest in turmoil because you're like, how? How do I do that? And, and what I'm saying, what I'm showing you, what this verse I believe is teaching us is that when you express your feelings honestly to God, He will meet you there and, and allow you to come to a place where you can say, this turmoil that's going on within me, I can have rest in the midst of these things as well. So just an application, write this down. Choose to take your feelings to the Lord choose. This is a matter of choice. Notice he says, yet I will do something. I'm choosing in the midst of all of my feelings to take these things to the Lord. And that's where I'm going to find rest because I'm going to allow God to supply the the confidence that only he can give me from his word. Notice here, I will quietly wait for the, the day of trouble. That's what Habakkuk has been told by God earlier. When we believe what God's Word says, it brings us to rest. So are you resting today? Is there there turmoil that's going on around you? But have you found how to rest in turmoil? Have you you taken the time to process the emotions and express them to the Lord? Not, Not to just everybody around you, although I think it's helpful to have brothers and sisters in Christ to help us with this but ultimately expressing them to the Lord and listening for his word and allowing him to speak to bring you to that place of rest. Habakkuk doesn't just say that we're supposed to rest in turmoil, but he also says that he's going to rejoice in suffering. Again, be patient because that's a, there's a little bit of a difficult uh, instruction that's ha- going on here. So write this down. Number two, find joy in suffering. Just like number one, find joy in suffering. I'm, I, let's, let me lead you to the place where that's actually possible. Just hold tight, hang on. We see here that Habakkuk says that he will rejoice, but it's not because of his circumstances. It's because of something else. If we start up in verse 17, we see that there's actually six things that Habakkuk mentions. He mentions figs, grapes, olives, wheat, sheep, and cattle. Back in Habakkuk's day, wealth was not something that was stored in banks or in investment portfolios. Uh, There was kind of a banking system, but most of the way that you held your wealth was through your crops on the land and through the livestock that was produced. If you didn't have any crops, you didn't have any food, but you also didn't have any seed to produce crops in the future. And if you didn't have any animals, you didn't have any meat now, nor reproducing meat for the future as well. And so Habakkuk is describing here that the fig tree is not blossoming, the fruit is not on the vines, the produce of the olive field has failed. He talks about how it's this incredible famine that has happened. Not just famine, but it's complete economic destruction that is happening, uh, that is going to happen to his people. The Chaldeans are taking everything that I need today and all that I need for the future as well. Now, this is an incredibly desolate and diff- difficult place. Now, I don't know if you've been reading the news reports recently, but there's a number of places in the world where there's some really significant famine and complete economic meltdown happening. I was just reading an article this week about Yemen and, and once again, two years after the massive famine there that has so impacted so many people. Once again, there's massive shortages and not really an ability for them for themselves to recover that they need help from others. I believe as Christians who are caring for the world, we should be praying for events like that and maybe getting practically involved in some of those things as well. The point here is that that happens today to countries as a whole, just like it did to Habakkuk, and it happens to our own lives as well, where we feel that same type of thing. So how do we face this kind of trouble, this kind of dark day? Well, we've talked about how it's easy to acknowledge God's goodness when things are going good. But when they fall apart, how do we we have hope? When nothing's right, when there's no food, no money, no safety, the future seems so insecure, what do we do? Well, Habakkuk says, he tells us what we should do and what he did in verse 18. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is saying we can make another choice here in the midst of economic meltdown and famine and the dark day that was happening in his time, uh, in complete and utter destruction as it seemed. He's saying it's possible in dark days to rejoice, to have joy. How do we do that? How do we rejoice in the Lord in the circumstances of dark days? Philippians 4 says, Rejoice. In the Lord always. And that helps us understand that rejoicing is, is not a feeling. It's not possible to be happy and to feel happiness within us at all times. There's actually really inappropriate times to feel happy, if you will. So, so rejoicing in the Lord, we're seeing here, is not just an emotional thing. Actually, what it is, rejoicing in the Lord, is a discipline. So we need to deal with that, because if we're honest, our joy is oftentimes not in God, but it's in what He gives us. We enjoy what God blesses us with more than we enjoy God Himself. And if we find joy in our circumstances, then when things are going well, that's that's good. But when things are going bad, that's that's crushing and demoralizing and and destructive to our souls. And so we pray. And when we pray, we pray, God, change my circumstances, then I'll rejoice. We say, God, get me out of this, this, this dark day and then I will praise you. When we're in that situation and we find joy in the circumstances or in the things that God gives us, when we find joy in money, what happens when the market tanks? When our joy is based on our job, what happens when we lose it? When joy comes with good health, but then it fades, what what does it do to us? When joy in our life is based upon a relationship... But it crumbles and ends. Where does that leave us? If the foundation of our joy leaves, how will we be able to rebuild our lives? But true and lasting joy, real joy, is only found in the unchanging privileges and promises of a relationship with God. Jesus actually speaks about this to his disciples. And in, in an interesting story in Luke chapter 10, um, we see a, just a short event that happens, a, a debriefing session of sort, where Jesus has sent 72 disciples out to do ministry. They're out for a short-term mission trip, and they come back, and they have this debriefing session. And, and in Luke chapter 10, verses 17, uh, and, uh, 17, 18, and 19, we see that, that the 72 returned with joy, saying... Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Their joy was based on the fact that, God, even the demons obeyed when we, when we told them to leave. Like, like the accomplishment of what we've done on this mission trip has given us joy, is what they're saying. But in verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 20, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is such an important verse for us to understand. Don't rejoice in my gifts, is what Jesus is saying, but, that your, but instead your joy should come from finding that your names are engraved and written in heaven. Notice when it says the word written here in English, actually a better translation in the Greek would have been engraved, like engraved in stone, the idea of the permanency of that. Today, we, we actually even still practice this. Occasionally, when something significant happens, when there's a reward or a trophy or an accomplishment, we, we, in, we have an engraving to mark that, and, and that's going to carry through time and show what actually happened. And so, with great joy, uh, we got to see this past year, the Liverpool Football Club, be able to engrave their name on the EPL trophy, and, and, and now their name is there. A massive accomplishment, right? Right. Remember a couple of years my mom received a lifetime achievement award and and her name was engraved on on the on the little sculpture that they made as as part of the uh, as part of the gift that was given to her in that like when when your name is engraved in something it means there's something significant that has happened but Jesus is saying here don't rejoice when your name is engraved into earthly things don't rejoice when your name is made or when you are made into the partner At your job when when you get into the school that you want to get into when you get the grades that you've achieved when you have the money uh, don't build your identity don't build your name on those things when you begin to think that you're somebody because of it you're building your joy your identity on that thing and what happens if that gets taken away. Jesus is saying, no, don't rejoice in the accomplishments, by the way, which I gave you the ability to do, is what he says in the verses in between. Don't rejoice in those things. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is what we should savor and treasure and value and adore. That's really what it means to rejoice, by the way. Notice, savor, treasure, adore value. And when circumstances change, if you're savoring, treasuring, adoring, and value, if you're rejoicing in those things, it will destroy you. It will crush you. And your heart and your values and your treasures will be revealed that you've been worshiping something other than the Lord. It's been an idol and it's going to have great impact in your life. But Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in those things. Why? Why? Because you're already accepted. Your your names are are engraved in the stones of heaven. Your name is written there. If you have put your trust in him, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you submitted to his lordship and he's your king, your name is engraved in heaven. If joy is found in the Lord in these things, notice... The Lord who doesn't change means that He's given you a permanent identity, a permanent place to find your joy, lasting joy that happens there. And that means that you can lose your job and the turmoil of that be happening and still have joy. It means that you can lose your money and still be joyful. It means you can lose your health and be rejoicing in it. It means that a relationship may falter and you still have joy and are able to stand up under you. It doesn't sink you. It doesn't actually destroy you because your foundation is built, your identity is built on your name being in heaven where Christ forever has placed it. Where's your joy? The point that I'm trying to make here today is that you find find joy in suffering by choosing to build your identity on Jesus Christ. By choosing to build your joy, your your willful discipline that I'm going to put my trust in God and, and I'm going to see the hope of what's there. When I put that in Christ, that's when I have joy. And so in application, really, you know, I think already where I'm going here, right? Build your identity in the Lord. Build your value and your worth. Put the thing that you adore and that you treasure, make that be Christ and nothing else. And when dark days come, you will still be able to rejoice. I want you just to do maybe a little bit of an exercise here and start by just saying, looking at this. Number one, identify anything that you've lost recently that has crushed you. It's normal to feel crushed, by the way. That's not a problem. But, but identify anything that, where that is happening. And then second, second, evaluate if you had misplaced joy and identity in that. And if you did, do the gospel dance. (laughs) Repent. Tell God, I was wrong. I put too much value. I I adored that too much. There was too much treasure in those things. God, I I was wrong. God, would you forgive me? And he's always faithful and just to forgive us, right? And to cleanse us from unrighteousness, to change us even in that. And then begin to believe, God, it's more valuable but that my name be engraved in heaven than that I had those things. B- believe in that and begin to live as a result of God, that. Uh, God, I, this, this has been hard, but this doesn't crush me because I believe that you are the one that has written my name in heaven and that you are ne- you're going to keep me forever. You're going to care for me. Uh, I'm going to exercise the be- belief and faith that I have that your care and control is always the best place, even if the storm is all around me. So how? How do we find rest in turmoil? How do we find joy in suffering? How do we do that? We're we're beginning to see the answers to that, but I want to end us with one more point here, and that's this. Choose hope. Choose hope. And with that, let me just acknowledge that as you're hearing this message, it's possible. I'm just imagining it's possible that it's inspiring some, and it's feeling like a weight that's crushing others. It's possible you might be getting a little bit discouraged and depressed here, and and, and in this, I'm trying to help you around that, around that corner, if you will, to a to a spot where you can see how you can put your confidence, your confident hope in Christ in the midst of the circumstance. So let me start by just making a simple statement here. Um, Dark days don't change what's inside you. They reveal what's inside you. And and the reality is we can't be like Habakkuk. Habakkuk couldn't even really be like Habakkuk and and the way that he's even ending in this place. And, And that's an important thing to understand, that in your own self you can't conjure these things. You're going to have to choose to put your hope, your trust, your belief in something else outside of yourself. Look at verse 19. It says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread upon high places. So so what is going on here is Habakkuk is saying that rejoicing in dark days is like walking on the mountaintop with the sure footing, just like a deer does. And really, the imagery here is, is something that uh, it was commonly, commonly known and yet maybe more experienced back in that day. This, really, the safest place for somebody to be was at the heights. It, 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 was, it provided protection for you because uh, you, every, uh, you know that you can't fight uphill. Like the safest place is, is, is when you're on top and you're, you're fighting downhill. Invading uphill is nearly impossible. On top of that, you're able to see things. And earlier in the book, we saw that Habakkuk said, I'm going to climb up into my watchtower. I'm going to get God's perspective. And listen, when God has placed you up on the mountaintops and you see his perspective of these things, you're not only at a place where it's safe, but where you have his viewpoint on these things, that's that's the best place to be. But the problem is it's hard to get to high places. It's hard to get to mountaintops. Like mountain climbing is incredibly dangerous. It's slippery, it's difficult, and to actually get there and stay there is a difficult task. Habakkuk is saying that learning to rest and rejoice in suffering, though, is like having that mountaintop experience. But notice, he says, you can't get there on your own. God is the one that must do it. Look, it says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. It's God that does this. God is the one that gives you the strength. He's the one that gives you the, the feet transformed to be able to have the footing like a deer to be in those high places. You cannot do this on your own. And really, the theme of chapter 3 has, has kind of been revealing that and remembering that. Remember, as we looked last week at chapter 3, we saw that in those early verses, the first part of the chapter, that there, it was really so much about the exodus and how God had rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, how he brought them to the Red Sea and opened the sea up, even though the Pharaoh and his armies were chasing them down. They crossed on dry ground, and then when Pharaoh and his armies went in, he closed it up and destroyed them. Then we see that God brings them across the Jordan and into the promised land and it's, it's him being with them. Listen, it was God who saves and God who was with them and God who is for them and us even today as well, we learned last week. And in the midst of this, we see that God did it all. There was They didn't have the power to save themselves. What... What he, what was accomplished, he did. It wasn't anything that Israel did for themselves. And that's why so many times when we look at Exodus, we see that really is a preview of the gospel. Exodus is the gospel in the Old Testament. And so many times the prophets and psalmists are looking back to the Exodus and they're looking and they're seeing how God did all the work to save a people who couldn't save themselves and rescued them just as he was going to with Jesus Christ. God did it all. And Habakkuk is remembering the gospel, the Old Testament version of it. And, just, and for us today, we see it even more clearly. We see it through the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has already done. Habakkuk has been pointing us to Jesus this whole time. In verse 18, it says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's pointing to the, the ultimate exodus that Jesus will accomplish on the cross. So we gotta think a little bit about Jesus as we even come to a conclusion here. When we choose hope, we're choosing Jesus. And Isaiah 53 gives us a, 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 an important description of Jesus. And I just want to have us look at a few things here. Isaiah 53 is the prophecy of the Messiah that was yet to come that we now now has been fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. This Messiah was going to bring justice and equity, equity and ultimately salvation. But in the midst of that, in in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says uh, that he he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, sorrows, yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He bears our griefs and sorrows, yet we disregarded him. In verse 7, it says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. In verses 9 and 10 it says that he had done nothing wrong, yet God's will was to crush him. That he would bear the sins of all those who were guilty of sin and make them righteous when we put our faith and belief in him. This man of sorrows, as he's known in Isaiah 53, was not sorrowful because of anything of himself, but because of what he bore for us. Why did he do that? Why did he bear our griefs and sorrow and be oppressed and afflicted, even though he had done nothing wrong? Why did he do those things? Well, a verse that has been really ministering to me is Hebrews chapter 12. It answers the question for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says uh, that we should look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did He endure the cross? It says because of the joy set before Him. And what was that joy? What was the joy that was before Him that He didn't have before He was on the cross? What was the joy that He now has that He has accomplished victory over sin and death? It's you and me. We are His joy. We are why He endured pain. We are why He suffered On the darkest of days, he took our sorrow, he took our pain, he did what was needed to accomplish our salvation. So while we do not suffer well, while we try to find our way to avoid pain in any way possible, oftentimes causing more pain, we can take comfort in that Jesus did not avoid it, but he took the sorrow he took the pain, and, and, and while death and the grave tried to defeat him, he was victorious. And now he rules, and now he's reigning at the right hand, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is soon coming back to return, and he's going to make us make all things new, and there's going to be no tears and, and nothing wrong at that moment. And we will have, have the joy that, he's, that he bought for us in the fullness of experience at that time. Listen, that's why we choose Jesus. That's why we, by faith, choose to believe in Him. This is choosing the hope, the assurance, the belief that if we put our trust in Him, we can have the fullness, the full assurance of having all that Jesus is making for us, has made for us, and is making for us right now. And all by grace. No work of our own. There's nothing you have to do to earn that. There's no good, good star stick, sticker char, charge. There, there, there's just simply a belief and a trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done. That's our confidence. That's our hope. That's what gives us the ability to endure. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to remind us of this, to comfort us, to encourage us, to remind us of these truths. So that when we are in the midst of dark days, we have access to remember and to embrace the hope that we have. Now, remember the term embrace. The very first message. We remember that Habakkuk's name actually means embrace. It actually means to to put my arms around the truth that the Lord is going to care for me and he's in control of my life. Even when my wife is crumbling around me and the darkest of moments seem to be happening. There's a story in Luke chapter 8 that I, I think is important to help us understand that we can't just think good thoughts about these things, but we have to put this into practice hope in dark days comes when we exercise the truths of these things when we put into practice the expression of my emotions when i put into practice the belief of where my identity is based and not the things around me but in the world when i put that into practice because when i don't put it into practice even though the hope exists the assurance of those things are true i'm not actually tapping in and accessing those things in the moment and Luke chapter 8 tells the story of 12 men who failed in this regard. You see, Jesus told them to get into a boat, to go across to the other, sea, other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, in the midst of that, he was exhausted, and, and we, we learned that he was actually asleep. And he's asleep on a pillow, and, and this massive gale-force wind comes up, and, and it turns the Sea of Galilee into this cauldron of waves and lightning and thunder. And this, they, they, these veteran fishermen were fearful for their lives because of how bad the storm actually was. And they run to Jesus, and they wake him up. And, and Jesus stands up, and it says that he rebukes the wind and the waves, and, and everything is calm. And then he, he does something interesting. He, he doesn't pray for their faith. He doesn't tell them, hey, you, let, let's get a little Sunday school lesson about how to have more faith here. He actually, in a sense, rebukes them as well. And he asks them, where is your faith? What he's saying in that statement is, guys, you, you know who I am. Guys, you've seen what I've done. You know that I fulfilled everything about the promised Messiah. You've seen me work supernaturally in power over nature and over over demons and the supernatural. And and you see, you know exactly who I am. You should put your faith into practice in the middle of this storm. You failed in that. And so now I have to remind you and rebuke you to be doing those things. But, But get out your faith and use it. Get out your faith and use it. You know who I am. I'm in this boat with you. I'm not going to not take care of you. And I'm in control even with the storm going on around me. Knowing who I am, did not, knowing who Jesus was, did not connect with their hearts. And I would suggest that if we're going to have hope for dark days, if we're going to find rest and joy in the middle of the storm, If we're going to be in the boat when the waves are crashing around us, knowing that Jesus is right there. That we need to not only just have a head knowledge of those things, but we need to connect to our hearts and put into practice where our faith actually is. That we need to get out our faith and use it in those dark days. And like Habakkuk, listen, it's okay to express, I'm terrified in the moment. God, but let me express that to you and then let me choose the peace that you're giving to me. And God, everything has fallen away and it's famine and desolation, but I'm going to rejoice that you are my salvation. Listen, hope for dark days comes when we choose to rest and rejoice in Jesus, no matter how big the storm around us is happening. When we rest in Jesus, we express all of our feelings to him. We're not hiding those things, we're not ignoring those things. It's okay to tell him the fullness of that, but then we're allowing him to minister to us at that deepest place of need. We're we're rejoicing because we've built our life on him. And we know that our names being engraved with him is the greatest need that we have. And and if he's taking care of that, he'll take care of the little details and how he has orchestrated our lives as well. We can have rest and joy even when everything is falling apart. When we exercise our faith and put our hope in Jesus Christ. So let me just take us through a three-question exercise to maybe help bring this into uh, actually pulling out our faith and beginning to use it in whatever circumstance of life you're in right now. Question number one is this. What feelings do I need to explore and express to God today? In other words, what's going on within you that you need to take a deeper look at and instead of ignoring them or not dealing with them uh, and stuffing them down, that you need to actually face full on and, and begin to see and recognize what's really going on underneath all of that to express it to God so that He can meet you at that place of need and give you peace. Question number two. In dark days, where do I usually look for rest and joy? Is it in God or is it in other things? And if it's in other things, repent. Repent of the wrong places that you've been looking for rest and joy. And believe that God is the one that gives that. When you put your joy, when you rejoice in Him and what He's accomplished for you, that will give you, at the very bottom, your need for rest and the ability to rejoice. Believe that God gives that rest and joy and then live In in love uh, and the loving reality of it. And then, last question Since Jesus endured the darkest day for me, how should I rely on him for rest and joy even when things are seeming to fall apart? Every person, every person will experience dark days. Some will experience incredibly dark days. And what the book of Habakkuk is showing us is that you can endure you can rest, you can find peace, you can even rejoice being at joy because of the assured hope that when you wait for the Lord, he is your salvation. God saves us. He's with us. He's for us. We can wait patiently for all that he's doing. You can only do that if you are believing in Jesus Christ, by the way. If he's not your savior, if your name is not engraved in heaven because you have not trusted Jesus as your savior. If you've not said, I give up control of my life, God, you can have control. I I recognize that I have no hope for a future with you unless I do that. If you say, God, I'm a sinner and I know there's no way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. If we believe that in your heart and you confess that with your mouth, you make that known, then you are saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says. Ephesians 2 says, by grace you're saved through faith. This is not the work of yourself so that nobody could boast. Listen, nothing that you do earns salvation. But when you put your simple belief in Jesus Christ, you can have the hope for dark days to endure, to suffer well, To even be at that place where you can rejoice in what he's given in the midst of the darkness. Knowing with confidence he saves. He's with you. He's for you. Wait patiently for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this short little book of Habakkuk that has such a powerful punch. So full of the magnitude of the greatness of who you are. God, we, like Habakkuk, it's, we, we regularly come to places where we don't understand what you're doing. Lord, teach us to pray and to cry out to you, to lament to you of those things. Lord, we your ways are higher than ours. Many times you do things differently than how we would do it. And God, would you help us to wait faithfully, to wrestle faithfully with you in those moments. God, would you help us to avoid... Uh, trying to grasp hold of things and, and solve the problem on our own by fixing it or fleeing from it or giving up. Lord, would you teach us to wait in the dark, to hold your hand in the dark, to remember what you've done in the past, to remember how you do bring justice and equity, that you've done that through Jesus Christ that even the punishment we deserve, we don't get when we believe in you. So, Lord, we can wait patiently for you. We can rejoice in our identity of you, even in the darkest of moments. Lord, would you build our faith? Would you build our faith to the reality of the hope that is true of you in these things? Lord, would you meet in each individual heart, whatever they're wrestling with, and as they express whatever deep emotion is there, Lord show them, meet them. You're so good. Lord, we, even even in the darkest of moments, even on our deathbed, Lord, would you show us you are good. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we do put our hope in you. No matter what what the storms around us are, we believe in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.